Welcome to Restore Gospel Podcast. Hey, welcome back. I'm Mike Barrett. I'm Corey Stark. We are two friends having casual conversation about the things of eternity, and we welcome you into that conversation. Today, we're going to just kind of debrief and draw out some things that we talked about in uh, class at Colburn Road. Um, Today is Sunday the 28th. You'll be hearing this, or yeah, the 28th. You'll be hearing this a week later. So if you want to get more on what we're talking about, um, you can go to YouTube and look up Restored Gospel Podcast on YouTube. We just use the same name, so it'd be easy to remember, but it's not a podcast. It's actually videos of classes that Corey has taught. So Restore Gospel Podcast, search on YouTube, subscribe, and you can watch today's class, and that may help uh, with this conversation. But also, Corey, I'm sure that this will stand alone as hopefully a good conversation like we usually do. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Always enjoy it, Mike. Good deal. Well... What you just prayed seems to be the whole point of it. You know, I never realized until kind of studying some of this that there's a reason it's called a gate. You know, you got to go through the other side. Once you're on the other side, you got to keep going. And this whole thing is summarized so well by Nephi, where he says, you have to press forward and be steadfast. And then, you know, and then he says, the word will tell you, and, and the, or the word will tell you, and the spirit will show you, I think, you know, what you're supposed to do. But, it's like that's almost what the judgment is, not just that you got baptized or whatever, but what you did once you had the Spirit. Yeah. Um, I really like the—let's uh, talk about the Israelites in ancient Egypt and walk through some of the things they did and how that relates to the plan of salvation. Uh, that was really neat today, and that's what stuck out with me was the fact that they passed through the water— but they didn't go right to the promised land. They spent some time in the wilderness. And then when you, when you, uh, well, when you correlate that to the plan of salvation of being baptized in the water, but you then have to journey in this life for a while. And that's where the Holy Ghost comes in to guide you because that's the struggle, the time in the wilderness before you make it to the promised land. Yeah. And that's an interesting whole topic that I think. You know, it's one of these things where you take a 30,000-foot view of the Bible and you realize God's been telling us the plan from the beginning, and he's shown it to us different ways, and it's repeated in different themes. But this whole idea of, you know, it wasn't just one step in the journey that got the Israelites to the promised land. It it wasn't just that they had faith in the blood of a lamb, and it wasn't just that that Pharaoh let them go. It wasn't just that they crossed through the Red Sea or received the law on the mount. They still had to make it through the wilderness, and then they had to cross over into the promised land from there. And all these things correlate to our, our faith journey. you know. So it's like a lot of denominations, I think, take one element and they sort of focus on that. Like some people are really big on baptism and some people aren't big on baptism. And I think even the Baptists, I could be wrong about this, I've heard you have to be baptized to be a member of the church, but you don't have to be baptized in their theology to go to heaven. So how that works, I'm not sure. Wow. <laughs> yeah, I just I heard that online recently. So don't know if it's true, but it, it's interesting if it is. So the, <clears throat> the Israelites were captive in Egypt, and then they were, they were told to put blood on their door. And then talk about 
you, you mentioned something today about the unleavened bread and how that represented um, what they didn't even have time to let it rise. Or how how did you tie that in? Yeah. Today? Well, leavening is one of the scriptural symbols of sin to begin with. Because like Jesus says, a little leaven leavens the whole lump. Now we think of it as yeast that makes the bread rise and Mm -hmm. makes it chewy and soft and everything. But in that day, they associated it with sin. Well, this day of the Israelites, when Pharaoh finally, after the firstborn of the Egyptians died, after that uh, time period, he finally tells Moses, you can go after all the attempts to release his people. That journey was so fast that 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 Moses says, "Don't even stop to bake your bread the normal way. We're just going to eat it without leaven in it." Well, the leaven being removed is is also symbolic of repentance. You know, we get the sin out of your life, but but also it equated in another way with their journey was was quick to the water, and that's where once they passed through the water, the evil that bound them of Egypt couldn't hold on to them anymore. And that's where we talk about this remission of sins. But this idea of the Israelite exodus and no leaven correlates with our repentance. You know, when we come to this faith that there's only hope of salvation through the blood of Jesus Christ, then as the scriptures give us, and this isn't just as a checklist, but it's just as the attitudes we're supposed to have, we're, we're supposed to want to turn from sin and we want to turn away from those things of the world that captivated us, that pulled us away from God. They, um, when they crossed over through the sea, then, uh, you know, that's a symbolized a symbol of us being baptized in water to, um, to start on our new journey, um, to leave the sins behind or to leave like the Israelites were leaving that the Egyptians and being enslaved to them. Um, and then later on that the Israelites crossed over the Jordan, you said that was where Jesus was baptized. Yeah. And so this, you know, it's interesting that they had to cross twice. The, the baptism of, of Israel is like, our water baptism, you know, it's part of getting into the gate, but this this gate includes the faith and the repentance and the baptism by water and the baptism by the Spirit. When they, before they enter the promised land, you know, Moses had been leading them through the wilderness, but he wasn't going to go to the promised land, and that's symbolic in that this law of Moses was not what took people to salvation in the sense that it was Joshua, whose name is Yeshua, which means Savior, he was the type for Christ, that he had to take them back over this Jordan River at precisely the same spot where they had been baptized, where where Jesus had been baptized. And that represents, I believe, uh, many things. Our our spiritual, uh, the sin, the spiritual cleansing is a baptism by fire, and it's it's a different type of baptism to remove the sin. But Jesus symbolized it in that, hey, when they cross over into the promised land, which is like heaven, they crossed over where Jesus symbolically died and came to life again. And this all points to the fact that it's it's Jesus who's at the gate. He's the one who was baptized right there that we have to pass through. We have to literally pass through his baptism, if you will, in, in a figurative sense, his life and death so that our body can be alive again and our sin can be remitted by by his blood. When the uh, Jews celebrated 
Passover and um, all these different holidays, they were all symbols of these events, which were the the Passover lamb, the blood on the doorpost, the the repentance with unleavened bread, the crossing in through the sea, and, and all these holidays that have different names, fall and spring feasts, they all correlated with these things. Well, this time when they passed back over the Jordan, uh, if I understand this right, correlated with this time of this Yom Kippur, which is the, the beginning of the new year, but that's when the sin of the uh, the nation was atoned for, and that's when the blood of the Holy of Holies, blood was carried into the Holy of Holies, rather, and and that's when the nation of the uh, sins were absolved. That's what Jesus' blood did. And so it's like whether the Jews realized or not, all these things they've been commanded to celebrate over centuries now correlate exactly with the things that we're supposed to be about in terms of our being on our journey with Christ to the promised land or to his kingdom. Mm. Well, one thing that stuck out to me, and uh, so you can go to YouTube and watch uh, today's date uh, video later. Well, by the time you hear this, it'll be out. Uh, Corey taught on baptism today, and uh, we we're just going to maybe talk a little bit more about that, but not, not, um, I know when I hear baptism, eh, you're like, well, I've heard this so many times, you know. But yeah, what, do we, what new do we have to learn about baptism? Yeah, well, I think there was a lot presented today. One of them, and you brought this out, and this may be the most important thing I gathered today, was after you enter in at the gate that you get that gift of the Holy Ghost to guide you um, on your journey the rest of the way because it says— well, you asked a question today. Is after you've done this, the Book of Mormon teaches after you've you know entered in by the gate is is all done, and it says no or nay, and that's where you need the Holy Ghost. And without that, um, really, I mean, you know, you can't do anything. So I started thinking, where is the Holy Ghost in our life? You know, personally and as a church. I, I mean, that's silly to think we can accomplish anything without that. Yeah, and and what's equally silly is to me how so many denominations parse out little elements of this whole process that's supposed to change us so that we can live and move in the Holy Ghost. And then they divide these up saying, well, this is what it means to be saved. You know, I just said this prayer, you know, God come into my life, and now I've been baptized with the Holy Ghost. That's what some people are saying. The video that I played in the service or in the lesson today kind of bears that out, that some, not all, some denominations teach that. That's, you're saved. And this whole idea is that God does give the Holy Ghost um, to anyone who sincerely wants it, but there's this gate in this process, which, not that the rules don't change sometimes, but it normally happens through faith and repentance and, and the water baptism, which is your sealing of the covenant. And then he says, I promise I'll give you this Holy Ghost. And then we're supposed to live and move in that forever. And and my question comes back to people then, so, and not ridiculing or mocking or belittling any other churches for whatever level of truth they're teaching, but if someone hasn't come in at that gate, but Jesus does define that gate as being faith and repentance and baptism by water and receiving of the Holy Ghost in a significant way, not just someone saying, okay, you've got it now, go go on your merry way, find a church. Um, that, that my question is, do you really believe you've got the Holy Ghost? You know, as do you, and and so, 
one of the, and everyone can ask that question, I suppose, it doesn't even matter what church you're a part of, I suppose, but, but, but that's what it comes back to, in that there is a promise that the Holy Ghost is bestowed by authority. There's also a promise that God says, I'll give it to who anyone comes to me with a broken heart and a contrite spirit. But that's what it comes back to, is that, you know, the, the purpose of our lives then, I believe, is reflected by the presence or the absence of the Holy Ghost in our lives. You know, how do we live our lives? What do we do? That's ultimately what the whole thing leads up to, is that when he says this question, asks everyone, hey, once you've arrived at this gate, baptism of water and baptism of the Holy Ghost and all these things we've mentioned, is everything done? And the answer being no means, so what is the answer? And then he explains, well, feast on the word. That's our 40 years in the wilderness where they had only manna. We're supposed to understand God's word, not not like Pharisee understand, but internalize the word. So mm-hmm. it's like, you know, we become loving and helpful and caring and submissive and meek. Those are the things the word teaches us. And then to know when the spirit is guiding us, right? To know when it's like God's voice speaking, because it says very clearly in Second Nephi 14 in the first few verses, um, he's like, hey, this is what's going to happen. If you feast and you seek and you knock, he said, the word will tell you what to do and the spirit will show you what to do. And he said, that's being in the way. He said, that's, he said, is all done previous to that. And the answer is no. He said, this is what's got to happen. Now you got to live and move in all these things. That's what, that's what, and he says, and I guarantee you, you have eternal life. You know, if that's your objective. The Word will tell you what to do, and the Spirit will show you what to do. We we should probably back up and at least read the Scripture um, that leads up to um, entering in at the gate for because I'm assuming, and I shouldn't know that people <laughs> we're picking up after Sunday school, but uh, maybe our regular listeners, you know, they don't see the video or anything. So let's let's back up a little bit and let's read read that Scripture in the Book of Mormon that talks about that. Well, the a lot of the scripture comes from scriptures that we've talked about in recent podcasts. Uh, Jacob's writings, Second Nephi, chapter six, and then Nephi takes over, and the last three chapters of the RLDS version are chapters uh, thirteen through fifteen, and he brings it all together. Uh, but what Jacob writes is interesting because he starts off in in the second book of Nephi chapter 6 in the RLDS version, explaining how the problem faces us, all humanity, that our bodies are going to die and our spirits were going to die, and that it was only this plan of this great Holy One of Israel that could resolve it with an infinite payment where he he Mm -hmm. would be the one to pay it. Otherwise, our bodies were, I think as it says, going to molder and rot, okay, in the ground, and our spirits would be forever subject to Satan— and we would be angels of a devil. I mean, that's can't be clearer than that. I like that. It almost defines what a devil is. It's the devil to become a devil is to be cut off from the presence of God. You know, you wonder where that word devil came in, but but the Book of Mormon shows that um, that you become a devil by being cut off from the presence of God, yeah. and that would be your your only hope, your only status, or whatever without without that inter- intervention. Yeah, and he he basically, I mean, he's so clear, and it's it's presented through a lot of really, I think, cool 
Hebrew parallelisms where I think you pointed out recently, Mike, on the podcast, how we stand before him and everyone's knowledge is perfect, but the people who have been sinful, they stand before him overwhelmed with guilt and uncleanness and they're, in a spiritual sense, naked. And the people who have come in at the gate, right, they have this perfect knowledge of their enjoyment and they're clothed with purity, and, and and this is kind of the final state of man. But it's his robe of righteousness, literally. Well, what's the, which scripture, um, which part of it is says that, and now I ask of you if, if all has been done. I wanted to read, like, the scriptures leading up to that just gotcha. to uh, help uh, with. Yep, so uh, we'll go to Second Nephi 13, and this is Nephi's words now. We we're just kind of summarizing Jacob's words. And so when he shares this, I, you can look online. Uh, I'll share it in the show notes too. It's it's part of the class notes. But I combined Second Nephi thirteen, fourteen, and fifteen into just one long page and trying to break it out with a little of the Hebrew stuff. But the the point is that it's all one message, even though the chapters and verses got divided by English printers. That the it's a continuous thought. So what it's in the end of the thirteenth chapter of the second book of Nephi where this summary takes place. And then it's in the beginning of the 14th chapter where Nephi makes this, uh, asks this question, is all, is all done. So let me, let me read a couple of verses here. Verse uh, about 21, so it was like 2 Nephi 13, 21. And Nephi writes, And now, my beloved brethren, I know that by this, unless a man enter to the end and following the example of the Son, uh, he cannot be saved. And so... When, when he makes this statement, he repeats and says, Do the things which I have told you, that I have seen that your Lord and Redeemer should do. So he's saying, follow the ways of Jesus. And he says, For the gate by which you should enter is repentance and baptism by water. Then cometh the remission of your sins by fire and the Holy Ghost. That's, that's the blood of Jesus cleansing us. You know, we've often just said, hey, the remission comes by water baptism, but it's interesting here because he says the remission comes when you receive this fire and the Holy Ghost. That's exactly what happens to Alma. It's exactly what happens to the Lamanites. Um, so I don't know that we've always taught that correctly. Where it talks about baptism for remission of sin is, is a general statement in the Scripture. I believe it's talking about the process of both water and spiritual baptism. I don't think it's intended to be separated, saying, oh, your sins were forgiven because you were, you know, literally washed in the water. That symbolizes the body that's going to rise again, but the spirit has to be cleansed, and that happens from this baptism of the Holy Ghost. They're both part of this remission of sins. And I think the Book of Mormon nails it right here when it says, the gate you should enter is repentance and baptism by water, and the remission of sins comes by fire in the Holy Ghost. That it's a package. Right. And so that's why, you know, you, you think about this, Mike. Outside of the Restoration, I don't know of any denomination really that emphasizes water baptism and spiritual baptism together like we do it. You know, a lot of people say, well, you received the Holy Ghost when you believed. Oh, and if you want to get baptized later, that's a good thing to do. You know, like just, you know, add a little icing on the cake. Right. But so the not that God can't do that, but the, the point is that together when we make this witness and we covenant, you know, God says, I will give you the Holy Ghost. And that package together is is what brings this gift of the Holy Ghost and this total remission. So then, then he says this, uh, this is like verse 25, 
And then you're in the straight and narrow path which leads to eternal life. Life. You've entered in by the gate and done according to the commandments of the Father and Son, and you've received the Holy Ghost, which witnesses of the Father and the Son to the fulfilling of the promise that he made, the promise being to give us the Holy Ghost. So so some people could stop reading there and say, hey, you kept the commandments. You got baptized by water. You received the Holy Ghost. But that's when he asked this question, and this is Second Book of Nephi, chapter 13, verse 37. And this was the point of the class today. And now, my beloved brethren, after you have gotten into this straight and narrow path, I would ask if all is done. You know, have you arrived? You know, are you, are you there now? And that's, it's amazing because I don't know of any place in the Bible where this comes out so clearly. It's, I love the foreshadowing uh, because he, he knows that we're probably all going to ask that question. And so he just asks it so that he can answer it, you know, because we're yeah. going to, uh, we need to hear the answer because every follower uh, will probably be confronted with that in their life. So here he is. He asks this great question and then proceeds to answer it so that we can all know. Yeah, so we can all totally benefit from this. And and that's the point of it. It's that, hey, without this information, a lot of people kind of feel like, well, hey, I made my covenant, and so now I'm just waiting for the kingdom. Yeah, is know? this it? Is this all done now? Right. I ask you, my brethren, I say unto you, and then the, what's the answer? <laughs> this is <laughs> the title of class today. The title of class, yeah. Probably say, the title of this podcast, nay. nay. The answer is nay. The answer is nay, <laughs> right, right. And so I, I never really surveyed the class to see if anyone knew where that came from. Maybe if I would have posed it with Nephi's full words, I would ask if all is done, and I say unto you, nay. Well, the point of the, his question is in that same verse. It's like, after you've gotten into the straight and narrow path, faith, repentance, baptism by water and Holy Spirit and all this stuff, is that it? And it's like, you know, this is the only doctrine. This is, and he states three or four times, he says, this is the doctrine of Christ. This is the doctrine of Christ. I want to tell you the doctrine of Christ. You have to bear fruit. And then this is where you can go back to the Bible and pull out all kinds of scriptures about bearing fruit, doing mm-hmm. good works, all these things. That's what it means. And so this is why salvation is this, I, I want to say this two ways. It's this lifelong process, but at the same time, Nephi assures us this isn't something to worry about. Like, I think it's been ingrained in most people in the Restoration. Well, I don't know what level of right. salvation I'm going to have. It's not that at all. He's saying, no, if if you if you feel like the Holy Ghost is leading you and you've come in at the gate and you're trying and you're earnest and you're sincere and all these things, he said, you have the assurance of salvation. This is, this is it. It's not a mystery. I think that... That baptism is just is this event, and no, no matter how old you are when you're baptized, you're just a little baby in your spiritual walk now. And um, oh, it's it's I'm, I'm regretting, but also I'm happy and um, feel fulfilled that I'm seeing that this working with the Holy Ghost is really um, where where everything is just laid out and understood. I mean, that's where life begins, is learning how to feel and understand the Holy Ghost and have it bear witness to you of the Father and Jesus and growing in that understanding of who your God is so that you can um, continue to become like Him. I mean, really understanding who your God is and how much He loves. That's the purpose. That's the walk after you're baptized, and that's where we're all at now. Amen. You know, you think about... 
this great story that Jesus shares with Nicodemus when he comes to him at night mm-hmm. and reminds him of the fiery flying snakes and the healing. All that happened to Israel, not before putting the blood of the lamb on their doorpost, but while they're in the wilderness. That's, in other words, what I'm saying is it's once we've made our covenant that we end up understanding the full meaning of God's mercy and justice, or, or at least I think we get exposed to things through our life where we're going to be judged by this God who will either separate us from him or we're going to be judged by this God who's going to welcome us to be with him for the rest of eternity. And and these are the lessons learned on this path to the promised land, on this path to the kingdom. You know, they're only things learned once you actually have made the covenant, I think, you know, you, you understand. And like you say, you know, you think about these things, what it's like to move and live in the Holy Ghost. That's what they were doing too. That's they, they were learning to trust. They were learning to look at Jesus and they were being refined, hopefully in that process, like we're hopefully being refined in our lives. I'm amazed when I have a, I had a Saturday off. I've been working a lot of weekends, uh, but I, I had a Saturday off a couple of weeks ago and I was able to Go to my favorite place, you know, go to a, a, a coffee shop. So I'm out of the house. There's no temptations to uh, to do anything that I like to do when I piddle around the house. And it's just me and the books. And when I sat there and read the word, that like stayed with me for days as I contemplated on it. And it's like a minimal amount of effort. I mean, I, I read for hours, but the thoughts, uh, it was funny because you, you had that whole diagram today of uh, – the correlation between um, the body that will rise from the grave and the spirits will rise and then, you know, from paradise and the good spirits will rise and the body will rise. I, I graphed all that out this past week. I was showing oh, wow. Kristen. I said, this is the same thing. that, it, But just a little bit of of reading the Word and being in it goes so far in our life. And so when if we would feast on the Word every day, and that was why they had our life would change. That's why they had the manna every day. It's because right. it, to point, I think to bear that out that no, you've got to contemplate God's word every day. Let it let it shape your thoughts and your decisions and your choices. I was thinking about um, so. What about people that are listening to class that aren't baptized? Um, and this this always goes to me <laughs> like okay, so I was baptized and I should be. Um, bearing fruit, and I should be interacting with the Holy Ghost that was given to me. And I th- and I often, from my viewpoint, see other people that weren't baptized or aren't baptized. And I think they're better than me, and they know more about loving other people than I do. Why? Why would they need to get baptized? I mean, I know Jesus did it to fulfill all righteousness, but it's like it seems like they know more about God's ways than. Than I do. They're kinder and more loving, and they seem to have gifts that um, just allow them to be pure. And I don't know. It's that makes you go, hmm. Well, it's interesting, yeah. And I don't know that scriptures provide uh, always the explanation, but there's examples of that in scripture. For instance, remember the story of uh, Ammon when he goes to the Lamanites. He's the guy who cuts off all the guys' arms who are trying to scatter their flocks. That Ammon. Well, he's in King Lamoni's court, and then. You think about this, from Ammon's telling of the story to King Lamoni is so overwhelming that, you know, these guys all fall down like they're dead for, you know, a while. And then it kind of gets the town agitated because someone's thinking Ammon killed someone and it didn't happen. But they they come out of this state all praising God. It's like, you know, 
to use the term that sort of, I don't think it really applies in this case, but the slain in the spirit, if you will. Mm -hmm. I mean, that happens to them. And they wake up, and they're all changed, and none of them have been water baptized yet. And, and furthermore, Ammon states, he, he, they said, well, what do we need to do? And he said, well, we need to be baptized. He said, but I'm not worthy. And I'm thinking, how can this guy who was able to tell the word of God so powerfully that these people felt the spirit to the point where they collapse unconscious, right? But yet he wasn't worthy to baptize, at least as we said, because what happens is he brings them on a journey back to Zarahemla, and they're baptized by Alma there. And that's that's how their story kind of resolves. But these people were much better than the than the Nephites were being, and they hadn't been baptized yet. So back to your point, you know, you see people around here who is like doing the work of God, and it's like you wonder, well, how did that happen? Where they're, they're like, they're better than me. You know, they, they seem to dedicate their lives to God a lot more than I do. And But yet I, I do believe that the process that God has laid out um, is there for a reason. But there are many cases where, as Jesus states, 3 Nephi 4, verse 50, 3 Nephi, third book of Nephi, chapter 4, verse 50, when Jesus introduces himself to the Nephites, this is one of my go-to scriptures, he says, whoever comes to me with a broken heart and contrite spirit, I will baptize with fire and the Holy Ghost like I baptized the Lamanites and they knew it not. And and that's the example that Jesus uses, you know, he, he, he didn't talk about the water baptism at that point. He talked about the fact that I'm going to change you with my spirit. Right. I don't – so – So that can happen. I guess that's all I'm yeah, saying. You know, but, I, so I, I, as you're talking, I look at it like this. I would never tell somebody, well, you seem to be good enough. You don't have to be baptized. You obviously already know Christ. Right. I would say, no, you, you know, repent and be baptized. It's it's said that, re, that baptism is the first fruits of repentance, and right. Christ even was baptized. But that doesn't mean that – I don't know their soul, and I don't know their interactions with God or their life story. And God sees—I mean, God's given me as a minister that responsibility and you to teach that plan, to point it out in the Scriptures, and to abide by that plan and not to vary from that plan. But but he's God, and if he wants to impart his spirit to somebody outside of that because of that person's desire and heart and workings in their life and everything they've been through, that's that's— He's His God. prerogative, right? I, that's what you said. He's God. Uh, I think we uh, give him the right to do anything I mean, uh, he wants. If he wants the, the 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 group that you just said to fall down and, and be cleansed by his spirit before they're baptized because of what he's doing amongst them right then, that's his prerogative. Yeah. But it's my job as a minister to to teach people the plan. Right. And, and, and Jesus did too, you know, just to right. the point. Because he's the one who said, follow me and his— He's the one who says water baptism, baptism of the Spirit. That's what happens to him. You know, he's water baptized by John, and then the Spirit comes on him. So he set this pattern up, and it's like he's, he's shown us this is the gate. Now, does does it happen in different order for some people? Yeah, but in the end, you still have to come through the gate, and, the, and that gate is this baptism, you know, of water and the Holy Ghost, which symbolizes both, I believe. I love all of the Spirit and I love the correlation that the bodies, they they call it the grave. The grave will give up the physical body, and paradise will give up the physical or the spiritual body. The grave will give up the physical body, and hell will give up the or the physical body. Hell will give up the spirit. So, so hell and the body will be reunited, and you'll be filthy forever. And then paradise spirits in the body will be reunited, and you'll be with God forever. I mean, that's just 
the physical and the spiritual. And then when you brought that into the sacrament, I think we talked about this on the last podcast, the, the flesh and the blood that he's just not, it's not just two reminders of Christ, but it's a reminder that because Christ took on flesh and blood and died and rose again, we remember his body that we're going to be uh, physically resurrected. We're not going to stay in the grave forever, but that his blood cleanses us is then remembering that we have the ability to be saved from the spiritual death. So there's that too, physical, spiritual, which I never put together in that way. I thought it was just, okay, we're going to do it again. Remember you, remember you, you know, remember my blood, remember my body. But that's really neat, the whole two, because that's the two resurrections. Exactly, exactly. And that's the whole thing that I realized, that's the beauty of the Book of Mormon's message on mm-hmm. baptism and everything is that it covers these bases, so to speak, perfectly well and ties it back in with the physical and the spiritual. And that's why it's so important that we have to remember at communion. We're reaching forth <clears throat> to remember that it's because of his body that our body won't molder and corrupt in the ground. And it's because of his blood the, and the baptism of his spirit that our spirits won't be <laughs> left in hell, you know? You know it's was, all because of what he did. Yeah, I think... For me, anyway, perspective, not so much anymore, but if I know I'm going to be bringing a message to the people, sometimes my mindset changes and I try to pay a little more particular attention, but um, this whole salvation and eternal life that that I've been so fascinated with, the message, the simple message versus what I've been taught, I thought I want to go back through the Book of Mormon and just write down all the sermons that talk about salvation and Christ doing that and, you know, what's going to happen when you die and how you're going to be with him or not. And I was like, you just can't even get a page. The beginning, I mean, I got, I don't know. I was like, I ended up in second Nephi 14 or first Nephi 14, wherever he's talking about this. But it's like every few, the whole thing, it's just like the whole book, man. I mean, I know there's some dry, you know, there's some history and traveling and some drier areas, but but for the most part, it's like the entire book is about salvation. And every word that we're linked <laughs> together in these parallels of the life of the body and everything. Yeah. So it's like, I don't know. I, I, I can't really, I guess you can go through and write these. I know there's some great sermons and dialogue. And I know Alma talking to his sons or like for several chapters are, are great examples of salvation being laid out and, and what to expect. But man... It's like the whole book is just talking about the merits of Christ. I love that word, uh, merits. The the merits of Christ and his blood cleansing and that phrase, having faith unto repentance. That's that's the thing that gets me. So we're right there, and it's going back to the word, 2 Nephi 14, uh, 13 rather, leading into 14, where you're talking about the merits of Christ after after Nephi asks this question, and remember, this is his signing off speech. Mm-hmm. These are the last direct words of Nephi we have. And he says, hey, is all done? He says, I say unto you, not a, it's not. <laughs> he says, for you have not come this far, save it were by the word of Christ, unshaken faith in him, relying wholly on the merits of him who is mighty to save. You know, that's verse 28. But then this is where he tells, okay, so this is the game plan now going forward. Wherefore, he says, you must press forward with a steadfastness in Christ, having a perfect brightness of hope right? mm-hmm. and a love of God in all men. And then he says, this is, this is so cool, I think, where he ties in the word and the spirit. Remember, Jesus was made the word, and Jesus was 
you know, is the spirit, right? They're all one for one purpose. So where, where it says God, the Father, the Son, the Holy Ghost, these three bear record in heaven, that just means it's, this is the way God manifests himself to, to us as, as God, all-powerful, as Christ, the Son in, in the flesh, and by his spirit. So, so then Jesus was made the word. Jesus was all these things. And he says, thus, if you press forward, feasting on the words of Christ and endure to the end, thus saith the Father. You know, this is verbatim. Ye shall have eternal life. And now he continues. He said, my beloved brethren, this is the way. You know, so, so you follow God's word. And he says, there's none other way nor name given under heaven whereby man can be saved in the kingdom of God. And behold, this is the doctrine of Christ. And then just shortly in the, into the next chapter, he repeats. He said, the word is going to show you, the, the, or the word is going to tell you, and the spirit is going to show you that every what to do in your life. This is how we bear fruit. But but I love how he he signs this off. He says, this is the only and true doctrine of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost, which is one God without end. You know, this is this is what God has done for us. This is what he offers us. And I wished in class today, I guess I'll just ask it now, can anyone come up with a better way to get to heaven? I mean, is there another plan out there that somehow works? Because there's a lot of churches saying, all you have to do is say with your mouth, Jesus is the Christ. Now, buddy, you are born again. Go find yourself but a church. You that know? first one you played today, this was from YouTube. The, the boy said it has to be, uh, as long as it's someone that's in the that's legitimate or that has the knowledge and says that you're confessing God, then you're saved. The word says this. Like, what? Yeah, well, so there's, you know, I can't wait for the next class. It'll be in two weeks because I want to deconstruct this. I I don't mean deconstruct God's word. I want to deconstruct the rationalization that people have used to say, hey, all you have to do is this and, and you're saved. Because what I'm just starting to learn and see it comes back to, you know, we, we hit this Hebrew parallelism stuff. For some people, it might not do anything. But but it's only because of that, seeing this in the in the Book of Mormon, that then, first, I've started to see it all through the Bible the same way. But these messages from Paul are all written with amazing Hebrew parallelisms in this single verse that's extracted out of Romans 10, verse 9, which says, Hey, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is the Lord, you know, and believe it in your heart, you will be saved. We've taken just even a portion of a single verse and extracted it out of what was actually presented as a beautiful parallelism. And I'll let the cat out of the bag here. Not that there's a cat or a bag, but this this whole thing yeah. wasn't <laughs> this whole thing. This whole thing thing. This whole message of Paul was part of a larger parallelism to Israel, not to the Gentiles who we have this habit of writing ourselves into mm-hmm. every good part of the story. It wasn't this little tidbit telling, hey, all you have to do is say, I believe in Jesus and I'm saved. What you have to do, he says, is what what Israel's problem was a larger problem. It was all being paralleled with the law of Moses. And if you start not even in chapter 10, but chapter 9 of Romans. Maybe we can do this in another podcast. I'd like to go through okay. that, and we could actually share what this is about. Oh, that'd be awesome. Because you... we got to deconstruct this, because what it is is it's it's a complete parallelism of 
Israel's falling because of the Mosaic law and how it isn't that you confess the law of Moses to save you, but you confess Christ. And and the whole point was a comparison. It wasn't just singling out, this is the roadmap. All you have to do is say this with your mouth. You know, it, it was that Israel was confessing with their mouth as they do today, yeah. 2,000 years later. The Torah, the the law, right? The sheep, all these things. No, he's like, no, it's the Christ, and it's been the Christ. That's since the, the beautiful. It's the the worst thing you can do, and I've I've learned this at, from listening to Bible teachers, especially the Bible Project, is read the Bible to pick out verses and things to tell. Like people say, I want to know how to live today. That's that's the worst thing to do to read those and then try to put it in context. Like, well, what's this telling me today? And that almost seems like. Well, what are you saying? Because you just said the Word of God is supposed to tell us all things. But with the Bible especially, I've learned that you have to understand who's talking and who the audience is and what the meaning was to that culture in their everyday life and what was he was trying to get across, and then take that out and say, okay, now how would we apply that in today's society? And that's a perfect example. You take that verse, and you're like, oh, so all I need to do is confess God. It's like, no, wait. What is he? What's the whole message to those people then who believed in the works of Moses and the law of Moses and all that? What, what's he trying to get them to see? Now take that message and now apply that in our day and time. Exactly. But the neat thing is, though, the Book of Mormon was written to like the more righteous people that were continually pulled out of bad society that believe in Christ. And so it's like it, the message is almost much more the same to us as it was to them. Right. I mean, there's some things with their culture, but it is but it is plain and simple, and you do read it because it's all about salvation through the blood of Jesus, and that's the same message to us. Exactly. It's not as so culturally, uh, I don't know. If, it's just locked in their culture. No, of, of, Yeah, of needing to get away from the, the habits and traditions and the Pharisees and all that to try to understand that, hey, there's a higher law, but we're already talking to people that understood there's a higher law. So the message is, yeah, easier. Exactly, exactly. And and Nephi brings this out in a couple of places where he's like, I've been among the Jews. I know what it's like Jerusalem. He said, I don't want to teach my people the way of the Jews. <laughs> he said, I want to teach them about Christ. And and he does, He's. I mean, it's so effective in his words that he does exactly like you said. He gets a message to us that we can take and not mess up out of context because he, he elevates his conversation to, to all of his above, above it, but he still directs it to the Gentiles. And you know who he's talking about when he says Gentiles or the house of Israel, or just like in this case where he's like, I'm talking to everyone, Jew or Gentile. This is the doctrine of Christ. It's right here. Much easier. Yeah. Much, much, well, I should say much less work. <laughs> yes. And you know how, what I loved about reading these chapters and kind of just preparing for the class today, but studying this in general is that it's so consistent throughout so many chapters and so throughout so many writers of the Book of Mormon, and it comes out the same way every time. And when you look at this, and this is a danger, this is like this David Platt little segment I played where he says, you know, if we're just saying all you got to do is pray. Hey, I got that queued up. I was I wanted to play that that one. Yeah, yeah. Because that's an evangelical uh, actually coming to understand what the, what I believe the Book of Mormon teaches. It, exactly, and I, I think, you know, that's worthy of playing. Well, I got it queued up if you want to play it. That's yeah, same. go for it. Making disciples is the natural, or maybe better yet, supernatural overflow of being a disciple. Proclaiming the love of Christ is the overflow of sharing in the life of Christ. 
And I'm convinced many people in our churches are just simply missing the life of Christ. And a lot of it has to do with what we've sold them as the gospel. I.e., pray this prayer, accept Jesus into your heart, invite Christ into your life. Should it not concern us that there is no such superstitious prayer in the New Testament? Should it not concern us that the Bible never uses the phrases accept Jesus into your heart or invite Christ into your life? It's not the gospel we see being preached. It's modern evangelism built on sinking sand and it runs the risk of disillusioning millions of souls. It's a very dangerous thing to lead people to think that they are a Christian when they have not biblically responded to the gospel. If we're not careful, we will take the gospel, the lifeblood out of Christianity and put Kool-Aid in its place so that it will taste better to the crowds. It's not just dangerous, it's just damning. And when And then when we think about making disciples, we think, well, it's just about going out and getting people to pray the prayer. We spread that. No, let's give them a full picture of the gospel. Let's show people the greatness of God. Yes, he is a father who loves us. He's a loving father who will save us, but he is also a wrathful judge who may damn us. Well, we hear that before, mercy and justice. Exactly, exactly. And, you know, I think he was so courageous to share that, and I know I'm sure he's shared that in other times and places now too, but couldn't you just hear the kind of the, tremor in his voice is like he was being bold speaking to evangelicals who've been raised on this just say the prayer and you're saved now and he says hey then all we're doing is thinking we're saving souls and all we're doing is telling them say this prayer he said that's that's not the whole picture of god modern evangelism built on sinking sand they haven't responded to jesus biblically they haven't yeah born or as you say born fruit and and like he used the term giving up kool-aid in their place because it tastes good yeah yeah and and it's like so i i look at this book of mormon mike and i'm like we have been given such a gift such a treasure to have it explained so clearly and not like a pharisee none of this if we follow this doctrine of christ that's presented in the book of mormon it, no place does it turn us into pharisees by like okay well you, it's just a checklist now you know the whole point is that Christ wanted to move us into a relationship with the Holy Ghost that was real and legitimate. And from this relationship, now it's like Christ doesn't plant a seed and not want it to bear some type of fruit. He's like, I'm planting my seed, my spirit in you, so you bear fruit. The whole point of all this gate is to bring us into a relationship with the Holy Ghost that's legitimate. <laughs> that's That message, uh, man, that's like the only... 
relationship with the Holy Ghost that that just changes us and shows us what to do. The Word tells us what to do. The Spirit shows us. Yeah, and and so to finish that thought, Mike, because you're right there, I, I just like to read the first few verses then of Second Nephi 14. We were yeah. in 13, and then <laughs> this is his question again, uh, verse one, Second Nephi uh, 14, verse one. And now behold, my beloved brethren, I suppose that you ponder somewhat in your hearts concerning that which you should do after you have entered into the way. Now, why do you ponder these things in your hearts? He's asking this question. He said, don't you remember that I said that after you've received the Holy Ghost, you could speak with the tongue of angels. I'm going to say something about that if we have time, but, but I want to skip it for now. And now how could you speak with the tongue of angels, save it were by the Holy Ghost? Angels speak by the power of the Holy Ghost, wherefore they speak the words of Christ. And I say unto you, feast on the words of Christ, for behold, the words of Christ will tell you all things that you should do. So so first he's saying, this is what to do when you're in the way. Now you've got God's word. It's going to instruct you. And he said, I love how clear he is. Now, after I've spoken these words, if you can't understand them, it will be because you ask not, neither do you knock. Wherefore, you are not brought into the light, but must perish in the dark. And he said, Behold, I, again I say unto you that if you'll enter in by the way and receive the Holy Ghost, it will show unto you all the things that you should do. Behold, this is the doctrine of Christ. So he's like, the whole point was so that you could have God's word and have his spirit and now live and move in that. And and that's, and then he finally concludes saying, there's not going to be any more doctrine given until he manifests himself in the flesh. And then he says, when he manifests himself in the flesh, he repeat, Nephi repeats exactly what Moses said. You're going to do the things that he says to do, you know, and and that's it. The uh, doctrine of Christ is to to bring you in relationship with the Holy Ghost, so so that it's an ongoing uh, relationship, intimate relationship forever. Right, right. Now, and, I was just going to say, I want to come back and just touch on this tongue of angels, so it doesn't confuse anyone. There's churches who believe now because of the mention of gifts of tongues that. They think that's the sign that you're saved. Okay, you you don't have a prayer language, Mike, or you mm-hmm. haven't prayed in a prayer tongue, uh, you know, and then so I don't even like going to YouTube and seeing those things. I've seen some of that out there, yeah, too. terrible. Yeah, it's, it just brings a... a no intelligence. A, no, it, it brings a spirit of confusion and I think a, an evil spirit, too, in the way it's manifest, at least in a popular way in the world right now. Well, let me but, tell before you explain it, let me tell you what I think that means and see if it's right, because I haven't heard what you're going to say no, yet. No, but say it, because I know what you're going to say is right. <laughs> <laughs> I, don't, I wouldn't bet on that. I remember reading that, and I said, okay, so that's it. That that's All it is, speaking the tongues of angels, is as a member and having the Holy Ghost within me in a relationship with him, I speak the words of Christ. Amen. Like, like, the, with like the angels speak the words of Christ with authority. Because of the Holy Spirit, that's the same calling, and that's it. It's not a, a babbling uh, you know, language you don't know. It's just speaking the words of Christ. So that's the calling for not just a priesthood member, but every baptized member of the church exactly. to, to interact with the Holy Spirit and speak with the tongues of angels, which means speaking the truth and the words of Christ to your brothers and sisters to uplift and to to walk walk each other home. 
Amen. That's that's the whole thing. Does that mean we're done with the podcast? Could you just <laughs> we are about ready to wrap <laughs> oh, it up. <laughs> well, but, no, but I mean, what you said was so beautiful because it isn't a priesthood thing. It's every man, woman, and child who, because of the spirit resident in them, can share a word with a brother or sister that's hurting. Can give advice. Can give you know good. Can speak into the heart of someone when they're hurting. And and this is what it means to live in Christ. You know, I just I just don't know of anything that's more beautiful. Right. Yeah, and and that's um that's not taught enough and that's where you get into all of the, you know, the sexual not the you know, the the gifts of the men versus the women and the women don't have anything to do in the church, you know, and they should be priesthood. And it's like every member child is as as you just said, is called to speak the words of Christ to those that are hurting, and and that's the that's a great calling. I mean, how can you get any greater than that? Yeah, it's it's the calling of the church, and it's like when have you really heard that preached? Either I mean, as far as within our people, that no, you are all commissioned to go speak with the authority of Jesus. I mean, and I'm not saying you're going to get up on a stump and say, "Thus saith the Spirit." At you know, at recess at school, that's that's mm-hmm. not the point. But the point is that because God's in your heart, he, that you're going to have understanding of truth. And when, when that is born witness in the times and places that you're going to find yourself in that God leads you, you will have that relationship with him where you, you reflect his goodness and glory and, and bring honor to him by speaking, like you said, as the angels do, you know, the words of Christ. And, and however that comes across, mm-hmm. you know, where he concludes this then is— um, just what you said, the angels speak with the power. But then once again, he says, once you enter in the way and receive the Holy Ghost, it's going to re- uh, show you what to do. This is the doctrine of Christ. And and so all these things, um, Nephi finally says, now the Spirit stoppeth my utterance. He's like, I've been telling you these things by the Holy Ghost, and now I'm done. And if you look at these chapters, 13, 14, and 15, you'll find they make a, a beautiful chiasm, which I'll link in the show notes. Uh, but it's a... It's a message that is not found anywhere else in Scripture, and it's so clear of what God, how he wants to bring us into this relationship with him and and to live and move and be the people that make the difference in this world, those people who are baptized by the Holy Ghost. It's such a powerful and refreshing message, and it's life-giving. It gives me hope to realize, no, no matter what people around me have done or chosen in the church or what it looks like in our day and age, that this is eternal. This is truth. And it can come to you and me wherever we're at, you know, whenever we appeal to God and, and want to walk with him and, and he can let his spirit shine through us, no matter what day and age or what darkness is around us, that we can still be a light for him. What a great gift to have light in the midst of confusion and not to be taken in or weighted down by all of the injustice and, and deception and uh, maneuvering of our minds and, you know, all of media and everything just clamoring to um, hypnotize us and take our minds in the direction they want us to go and to believe what they want. To have this internal guide that Christ has promised to those that have been baptized by his spirit to just help you see truth and see things his way in the middle of all that, that's that's true freedom. Yeah, yeah. And I catch myself all the time, you know, well, I don't anymore because I quit watching the news and all that, but it's so easy. I still get wrapped up in certain things I see to uh, be taken over by the mind of the world rather than the mind of the Holy Ghost. Um, Start seeing things their way. 
Yeah, yeah. Exactly. It's all foolishness <laughs> to God. Amen. Ne- Nephi uh, signs off with these words. I love this. I glory in plainness. I glory in truth. I glory in my Jesus, for he hath redeemed my soul from hell. <laughs> Couldn't be any better words. The right? whole book. The whole book. Yeah. The whole book talks of it. Yeah. yeah. Well, until next time, Corey. Just remember, we are just walking each other home, brothers and sisters.